Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. If you have your Bible, I would love it if you would open up to uh, the book of Acts. It's really not a book necessarily. It's kind of like a historical record of the first century church. We're going to be in the, in the sixth chapter, and we're going to start in verse 8. We're in a series called Collide. We've been here for a couple weeks. Part of, uh, of this, this series in Collide is, is talking about this, the, the thing that we live in with culture that now the culture seems to be aggressively and progressively becoming more and more anti-Christian. And two weeks ago, um, we kind of, we launched on this journey and this journey is going to really, this series is going to be over after today, but this is just, this dialogue or monologue, if you will, is just going to continue for the rest of the year. And the thing that Mike talked about last week is he gave you very, very practical ways, in my absence, he gave you very practical ways of, of how, what our response should be with a culture that is aggressively and progressively more anti-Christian. Now, you may not consider yourself a Christian this morning, and I want to tell you, one of the, the foundational things about this church is we want this church to be, of course, it is about Jesus, but we welcome every, every person, every walk of life into this place. We believe that the gospel can set you free, but we also understand that you have to lay your life and your will down before Jesus Christ and to receive His so that you can re- receive eternal salvation. We want that for you, but we welcome all. And I want to thank you for being here. So when I, if you're not claiming to be a Christian, I'm not like pointing my finger at you and saying, hey, you're to blame. Oh, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm not speaking of one person collectively, but I'm talking about culture. So culture collectively. And we would, two weeks ago, we all, we, many of us, about probably 80% raised our hand and we said, oh, you know what, I agree that the culture right now is becoming more and more anti-Christian. That's not like news to you. It wasn't news to me. So the the course of of this series and then the weeks uh, that are going to be following this and really just kind of continuing this dialogue is to answer the question, what should our response be to a culture that's becoming more and more anti-Christian? What should our response be? And, And I believe that this text is going to give us four incredible truths that we can kind of rally around. And the person that we're going to look at today, uh, we, it kind of, we mentioned him two weeks ago. It's a gentleman by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was, he was just kind of this, this Greek person who got saved, and then all of a sudden he was chosen to be one of the deacons of the early church. And the way that, the, that he was chosen is he was somebody who was full of the Holy Spirit. And there, him and six other people were chosen to kind of meet the, the day-to-day needs of the early church as it had grown. And the church had grown and grown and grown, and it was in, in the thousands at this point. So there was an incredible need. And some of the needs in the early church were not being met. So they said, well, we can either ignore those needs and we would be doing wrong, or we can just create infrastructure. Now it's not just Peter and the boys taking care of things. He says, now we're going to delegate some of the day-to-day ministry responsibilities to the deacons. And one of them was Stephen. We don't know a lot about Stephen. But what we're going to find out today about Stephen is so compelling. And we're going to see his response. In his culture, they are, the wolves are knocking at, at, at the door. And the wolves are approaching him. And they're about to take his life. And they will take his life in this text. But what you see is a man who's so full of the Holy Spirit, 
And you see his response in a culture that is progressively and aggressively attacking him. And yet I believe that just four truths, and there could be so many more, but I believe these four truths can impact your world today. I, I want to start with the story. Um, several years ago, I had uh, an opportunity. I've always like taken my kids out to do crazy things. And this is on the list of crazy things that I've done with my kids. I always try and get them out of their comfort zone. And one of the things that I did when we lived in Florida is, I, at the time, I loved to, to do some mountain biking. Um, and you're thinking, okay, it's Florida, and they don't have, like, mountains. So how does that work? Mountain biking is just a type of a bike. So anytime you get on a mountain bike, we call it mountain biking. You tracking so far? That's basically, that's the deal. We have somebody running laps. Dash, great to see you. Awesome. I needed that. Um, Got to love Dash. That's Dash, by the way. Um, but one of the things that, that I did is I took them out mountain biking, and we went to a state park in, uh, in South Florida, and it is incredibly flat, but we went out and we spent a couple days camping, and we got into a car accident. Everything's okay. It was actually in my van. It's still damaged. I didn't have it fixed. That's how I do things. They get damaged, and I don't fix, and that's another story for another day. Anyway, so we go out to this state park, and we set up the tent, and we do all this stuff. We set out on the mountain bike trail. By the way, at this time, I believe Gracie's three, okay? So, like, don't call anyone. Like, she's fine. She's right there. She's got the prettiest smile. She didn't get hurt in the process of what I'm explaining. But the thing that, that I did is we, Austin and I and, and Sis, we all went out on these trails, and we're doing going up and down jumps, and it's just incredible. We're, like, going over swamps, no gators that we could see. Don't freak out. It was just amazing. But at the end of this long day, um, we're kind of sitting around a campfire, which I couldn't hardly make fire that night. And we had to go into town, and it was all this rigmarole, so we're kind of spent. And we came around the campfire that I finally get started with the help of some Duraflame that I bought at a store in town. And so we're sitting around the campfire, and I just had like one of those, one of those moments where my heart was really softened, and I looked at my kids. Now, Gracie, like I said, she's like three or four, and, and Austin's older. But I'm kind of sitting there around the campfire, and we're just having like this surreal moment, and I looked at both of my kids, and I said, at the end of my life, at the end of my life, if all you can say about me is that I was a good dad, or I was a good husband, I would consider my life a failure. Well, at this moment, Gracie's three, right? So I should have probably like looked at my audience a little bit when I considered my words because her response, her next response was, daddy, are you dying? You know, and like, and all of that, but I didn't. And that's like a legit response. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not dying. But yet it probably just got weird in a hurry as soon as I said that. But everything that has happened with me over this last week brought back the memory of that conversation. Because you and I have so much that this life, that this world offers to live for. You and I, we can live for our families. You and I can live for our marriages. You and I, we could be so entrenched in work and we can live for work. Maybe we wouldn't say that we live for work, but yet we would look at how much time we spend at work and what, what the energy we spend at work and how little energy we spend elsewhere, and it would prove that we're living for work. We could spend so much energy. We could spend our life trying to amass things. But none of those things are the best thing. 
You see, I love my family. I would do anything for my family. But yet, the best thing that, I, that I've learned, and that I want you to know, and what we're going to see from Stephen is this. The best thing that you can spend your life on is Jesus Christ. That's the best thing. Culture offers so many things that we can spend our life on. So many. And what I was, when I was having that surreal moment, I was just kind of telling my kids that. I was just, you know, all of that was just coming to the forefront of my mind. And I said, you know what? I could be a great dad, and, and, and I should be a great dad. I should be a great dad because Jesus wants me to, not so that they would sit back and say, I'm a great dad. I should be a great husband because Jesus calls me to be a great husband. You should be a great friend because Jesus wants you to be a great friend. But all of that has to be rooted in Jesus Christ. Stephen, in our text today, he found the secret to life. And he found the secret to death. Let's jump into our text. Acts 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people, Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the power. Excuse me, the, the the spirit by which he spoke. I just made up a word. That's awesome. You can tweet that later. Verse eleven. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak of words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Verse 12. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now I would have to tell you this before I get into the, the main points that I want us to, to apply to our lives. It says in verse 15, I don't want you to think like he's in this, this nirvana, that he's in this other state of spirituality, that he like been doing yoga all day, he rolled the mat, you know, the mat out, he was doing the downward dog for like eight hours, and all of a sudden he's like in this nirvana, out of mind experience. That's not what's happening here at all. He knows exactly what's happening. His face is like an angel. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And he's sitting amongst the wolves. The very people who would take his life. And he's sitting there and he's not trying to to, to prod them on. He's not trying to argue with them. This place, this, this synagogue of the freedmen was a place that was well known as being a place of debate. So if you wanted to debate, this is where you would go. So he's sitting there as a man full of the Holy Spirit, knowing full well what's going on. He knows the dangers that, that, that's, that he's being accused of. He knows what could happen to him. He could know. But the accusations that they're making against Stephen are actually not against Stephen at all. They're against Jesus. So now Stephen is a spokesperson of Jesus Christ, and he's about to suffer harm for what he believes. 
Don't think for a second, church. Don't think for a second in our culture, we may not suffer harm for what we believe if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because we live in the comfort of this country and in this day and age and we have everything given to us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there is a great history going all the way back to, to the first century. There's a great history of people who have suffered much harm for the cause of Jesus Christ. Not trying to scare you, that's reality. Read your Bible, New Testament. It's all over. I would dare to say it's in every, every book or letter, or gospel in the New Testament. It's there. But even in the, in the midst of that, Stephen had a Spirit-empowered confidence. He had a Spirit-empowered confidence. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a man full of grace and full of the Holy Spirit's power. His, confident, his confidence, it didn't mean that he went in there looking for a fight. We, if we're, to be, if we're to be light in dark places in our culture, we don't need to go around looking for a fight because if you look for a fight, you will always find it, won't you? You'll always find it. He didn't look for a fight. He had a spirit-empowered confidence. A spirit-empowered confidence. Stephen was a great, great man of God. He was a great man of God, not because he had the power within himself, it's because he had the Holy Spirit. And I have to tell you, if you're a Christian this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need to address all of the cultural issues that oppose you today. Already. But his confidence didn't come in himself. His confidence from, is from knowing, and what we would know, not this, this was written at the time, but he would know this to be true, from 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, there is only one God, and Christ Jesus is the one who can bring us to God. He had a confidence that he was okay with God. He had the righteousness of God. That he was, he was, he was one with God. He had received Jesus just as you have if you're a follower of Jesus. He had a confidence that didn't just rest in himself, but a confidence that rested in God. The, the righteousness that was imparted to him from Jesus Christ himself. That means that there's something greater than you that is holding you to your line of faith. He had a confidence. You see, many of us, I think in our world, we're not confident when it comes to our walk with Christ. It's because we think our confidence rests on ourselves. Your confidence with being a follower of Jesus isn't because you just made this one-time decision and you're at a camp or you're at this event or this crusade and you raised your hand, you walked forward, they gave you a Bible and a story and you walked away. If you receive Jesus Christ, He seals your salvation. It's not based off your works. If it were based off your works, you would have already lost it. But it's off what He has done for you. If you want more proof of that, look in John 10. If you question that, look in John 10. It's there. So the confidence that Stephen had, the confidence you can have with a culture that is progressively and aggressively pushing against Christianity, it's because we have a confidence in Jesus Christ, another text to help us, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, it says, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. You can't claim the promises of God because of you alone. We can claim the promises of God because our confidence doesn't rest in us. It rests in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
We rest in His promises. This is great news for some of you because for some of you, you're just trying to live out work harder Christianity. Some of you are just so bought into work harder Christianity and you're exhausted. And you're just, you're working a little bit harder and a little bit harder. You gotta give a little bit more, a little bit more of your time. And I've gotta do this, but it's never enough. And you're trying to, uh, trying to amount a certain amount of good things to oppose all your bad things. And it, it's not going to work. The good news that comes with Jesus Christ, it means the death of try harder Christianity. Can, can we just like, can we just like put up the, the, the tombstone? Can we just, can we just claim that and say, I just want to claim the death of try harder Christianity. That it's not just you trying to white-knuckle this thing to maintain a life of faith. Jesus Christ offers you the confidence that comes from Him, not from yourself. That is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And He is faithful. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Never. doesn't take a day off. He doesn't take a moment off. The Holy Spirit's power is always available to you. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For as many are the promises of God in Him, in Jesus, they are yes. What do you mean they're yes? That means they're always yes. Always yes. So the promises of God that are imparted to you, Christian, are the things that you have to cling to in, in a culture that is progressively and aggressively seeking to devour your faith. The promises of who God says you are and what God says you can have. Those are the promises. Such great promises. This is what David talked about in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and, your, your rod and staff, they comfort me. You see, Stephen had this awareness. We're going to see, well, we're not actually, we're going to kind of glance through it, but we're going to see after this, he just had this awareness of God's Word and the history of the people of Israel. And yet, oftentimes, we only hear Psalm 23 at a funeral or memorial service or a celebration of life service. You see, Stephen knew that he had this confidence in, in the Lord right in that moment. He did not fear the consequences and he didn't even fear death. Many of us, we fear the consequences. The consequences of a culture that is progressively and aggressively seeking to devour our faith. We fear the consequences and then we prone, we're very prone to run and hide. That's not what we're supposed to do. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, did he? But power and a sound mind. Power, Holy Spirit's power and a sound mind. The second thing we see from this text, and you know what, I'm, this kind of upsets me in our, in our culture, but one of the things that, that I, I talk about a lot, I've, I've said it to y'all a lot, I've said it personally um, just in different counseling sessions, don't say something over the internet that you should say over a cup of coffee. Don't say something over the internet that you should say over a cup of coffee. I think many times, and I love social media myself, I'm connected in many ways, but yet I think one of the things that Christians do is that they're not confident, so what they'll do is they'll wage war over the internet. 
And, and they're not, they don't have the courage to actually say it over a cup of coffee. So what they'll do is they'll type how they feel and they'll, they'll do this and they'll lob more grenades and they'll do this and be like, ha, got you world and do all this. But they don't have a confidence or a courage within themselves. As a matter of fact, they're being very cowardice. Being very cowardice. So, for those of you who need to have and who are presented with the opportunity of having, uh, uh, just having the opportunity to defend your faith. The second point is this. You and I need a spirit-empowered composure. A spirit-empowered composure. We don't need to be the, the crazy red-faced person that you see on the news who's defending the faith and is going all crazy and their head's going and their hair's whipping back and forth, right? We've all seen that guy. Have we seen that guy? That guy, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. You don't need to be that guy or that gal. We need to have a composure about us, but it comes from our confidence in Jesus. You see, it's Him working through us. It's not us. We're not the only one campaigning for the faith. We look at verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently. They looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face was like that of the face of an angel. You see, the culture in his day, they were the red-faced. They were the ones freaking out. They were the one wagging their finger. They were the ones doing this. And they were the one accusing him. And they were the ones saying everything. And yet he sat there, meek. And meekness is not weakness. Meekness is controlled strength. As a matter of fact, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek. He, he's meek. He has controlled strength. Sure, could, could, he, could he meet them in their anger? Absolutely. Could he blast him back? Absolutely. Would he have been able to make some points? Absolutely. But would he, made it, would he have made a difference? Absolutely not. See, I think many times people, they, they just kind of freestyle over the internet, but they would never have that kind of conversation over a cup of coffee. They don't have a confidence in the Lord. They maybe have a salvation story. Maybe they're saved. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're deceived. Maybe they're not. And yet maybe they haven't grown in their faith enough and, and they're kind of prone to run and hide. But what they do is they hide with their laptop or their iPad or their tablet or their phone and they blast people through social media. And yet, where is our composure? You see, if we have a confidence that rests in Jesus, that means we don't need to freak out. We don't need to, we don't need to be the red-faced, hair-waving, freaking-out person. We don't need to be that person. Just as Mike said last week, we're on the winning side. So let's not live like we're in defeat. But make no mistake, we win in the end but it doesn't always feel like it in the middle. We win in the end, but it doesn't always feel like it in the middle. Now we're going to push on just a little bit. Uh, for the sake of time, I really wish, and I plan to, to read all of this. Stephen, he prepares this speech starting in chapter 7 and verse 1. I'm not going to be able to read it. It's like, it's several verses. But he prepares this speech. And he's standing in front of these people, this place of debate. And they're accusing him. And they're not really accusing him. They're actually accusing Jesus. But he stands for Jesus, so they're accusing him and Jesus. 
So he's standing there and he gives this whole historical account of of the, the people's hearts all throughout the Old Testament. But it's not convincing for those people. It's not convincing at all. Let's jump into um, chapter 7, verse 51. Verse 51. Jumping in right to an intense part. He had gone through and he had told them the condition of their hearts and he told them what they had done and, and just really a history of all things. And he was, all of this is pointing to Jesus. And he says in verse 51, we're going to read through uh, verse 3 of chapter 8. He says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered Him. You who have received the law. That, that was put into effect through angels, have not obeyed it. So this is Stephen's last... These, these are his last words that you're about to hear. These are his last words. In a culture, in a bunch of people who claim to be very religious. And this is their response. When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. That just sounds painful, doesn't it? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said in verse 56, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top, or at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. The wolves are coming. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Which is really, this is a transition text into the, into another section of, of this historical account of the early church. And Saul is someone who you see is radically saved by Jesus and his name would be changed to Paul. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. It's chaos in the streets. If you claim to be a Christian, they were coming for you. If you stood for Christ, if you were one of the thousands who had received Jesus, and now you make part of the, of the early church, the wolves would be coming for you. It would take that spirit-empowered confidence. It would take that spirit-empowered composure for Stephen. But also you see this. When he goes in verse 51... He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. It it takes this, a Spirit-empowered confrontation. A Spirit-empowered confrontation. Yes, all of of these four points, they have a C in them, and it helps. Sorry, I have Baptist roots, and I'm bringing them back today. You're welcome. So, 
a spirit-empowered confrontation. You see, in, in, in our day and age, what, what I would see, and probably what you would see, is when the wolves are coming, and they're coming for Christians, right? When the wolves are coming, and you call yourself a follower of Christian, and you're gonna, you're gonna face some opposition, you see, the tendency is to run and hide. But look at Stephen. He has a confidence. He has a composure, because the Holy Spirit is, is leading and directing everything that he's doing and everything that he's saying. And yet, Instead of running and hiding, he brings about this conversation. And that conversation is a confrontation. Christians, we cannot run and hide. We can't run and hide from from fear and everything else. We can't. We have to stand for the cause of Christ. Not wagging our finger, but telling them, of, of Jesus Christ and, and how He offers the forgiveness of sin. Sharing the Gospel. The Gospel is more ripe to be taught and to be lived out today than in any other generation. Stephen is a good shepherd. In John 10 verse 12 it says, The hired hand is not the shepherd who does not own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming... He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. He's not a hired hand. He's a good shepherd. We need to be good shepherds over our flock. He doesn't run and hide. He's standing up for Jesus. Full aware of the consequences of of what he is saying and in the position that he's in. And he doesn't even fear death. He doesn't even fear death. But yet, I want to tell you this. Before you start confronting the sins of another, we must confront the sins of ourselves. Before you ever think to raise your finger, to wag your finger at somebody else, you need to be pointing it to yourself and say, am I growing to be more and more and more like Jesus every day? Not perfectly, but increasingly. Am I I trying to do the right thing? Because if you are, then you have the Holy Spirit flowing through here. Then you can trust what you do and what you say. Then you can trust when God leads you to go have a conversation. Then you can trust and you can have that confidence. You can have the composure. And you can have all those other things. And you can have all four of these points. You can have them in the midst of that. But you see, many of us, using this illustration of this this tired and worn out hose here, um, many of us, many of us, As it says in Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, many of us, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, that that seems like a a, kind of a weird word to use in this setting, but I want to try and make it clear for you. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when you're actively involved in sin. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when you're actively involved in sin. For example, this hose. This hose, if, if the Holy Spirit were flowing through this hose, all right, you're going to have to track on with me. If you're creative-minded, this is going to work. If you're analytical, you're going to be hung up for a little bit. But you'll probably think about it and you may get it tomorrow. It's okay. Just bear with me, all right? But if the Holy Spirit is flowing through you in your life, kind of like water flows through this hose, what happens when you pinch the hose at your house or, or it's, it becomes frustrating for you and then you have to go through your hose because you have that random part that's pinched off and then you have to go dig out, right? What happens when that's pinched? Okay, this is an easy one. 
what happens? Right? It's, it quits flowing, or if you pinch it a little bit, it reduces the flow. When we are actively involved in sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It hinders the Holy Spirit's involvement in our lives. It hinders the, the involvement of the Holy Spirit in, in raising our kids in the way that we love our spouses. It, it hinders us in our walk with Christ. So when you're actively involved in sin, I'm not going to be able to go through this text, but I want this to be helpful for you. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17, through Ephesians 5, verses 5. You're going to see some some do's and do-nots of the life of a Christian. You're going to see some do's. That's going to... You're not grieving the Holy Spirit. When you do uh, what you're supposed to and you walk in active obedience, it allows the Holy Spirit to flow through you, through your life, through your marriage, through your relationships, through your relationship with your boss, and you need that. Right? It, that's what happens. When we, when we walk in obedience, we have the Holy Spirit flowing through us, and it's amazing. We feel empowered. We are empowered. But yet, when we walk in active sin, when we walk in sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit, you reduce the flow of God's power through you. The only way that you and I are going to be a light to the darkness of our culture is if you and I stop living for ourselves and our selfish desires, but we open up the flow of God's blessing that comes through the Holy Spirit's power. The only reason... Stephen could do what Stephen was able to do is because he was operating under the Holy Spirit's guidance. And he had the Holy Spirit's guidance because he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we live like like people who are not followers of Jesus. We, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we lie. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we become angry. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we steal, when we curse, when, when we're bitter, when we, we, we won't forgive other people. When we say, I will never forgive that person, you have just quenched the Holy Spirit's flow through your life. We're to live counter-culturally as Christians. Not mirroring the culture, but counter-culturally. When you don't share Jesus with a co-worker for fear of them disliking you, you quench the Holy Spirit. When you, when you don't stand up for biblical truth, you quench the Holy Spirit. When you stop praying and you stop worshiping, you quench the Holy Spirit. When we intentionally do not put our sin nature to death, we quench the Holy Spirit. We were meant to live for so much more. This spirit-empowered confrontation of Stephen, we're going to see also in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. A spirit-empowered confrontation, which is very similar to the the words of Jesus on the cross in Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Many similarities between Stephen and Jesus. We're going to see another one in just a moment. And I would say this, I know this is not going to be popular, but I'm going to risk not being popular, but to be true. 
We must be intolerant of today's definition of tolerance. Listen to me. We must be intolerant, intolerant of today's definition of tolerance. And the reason why is this. Because the definition of tolerance says this. In today's definition of tolerance, every way that you try and be okay with God is a good way. That all paths lead to heaven. Yoga, absolutely. You can get there. The Muslim faith, Islamic faith, Christian faith. See, the culture says, and that's what the idea of, of, of their definition of tolerance now is, you know what? My path is as, is as good as your path. But that is not true because Jesus Christ made one of the most exclusive claims. I'm going to talk about this in the summer. I can't wait for that series. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the, to the Father but through me. Very exclusive. We have to be intolerant of today's definition of tolerance. We have to be. Today's definition of tolerance says this, there, there is no absolute truth. So when Jesus says, I am the way, uh, no, there's a lot of ways. It says this too. Well, something is true if I say it's true. So if I say it's true, then you can't tell me that it's not true because my truth is relative to me and your truth is relative to you. So if you say something different than me, then you are being intolerant. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He didn't say, you know what, I'm the way, but I've got these other ways too, and you can get there however you want to get there, and just try and be a good person, and just try and build up the good things, and give this and give that. No, he didn't. One of the greatest gifts that he's given to us is so we don't have to wonder how that we can be one with our Heavenly Father. One of the greatest gifts that he's given us is by making the exclusive claim that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There's no mystery. There's no question but we have to submit. We have to submit. G.K. Chesterton said this. He says, Tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. And he said that decades ago. It isn't like he said it yesterday. He's dead and gone. And that is so true. That is so true. That means, you know what? There are no convictions. Their, their conviction is there are no convictions. The last thing is this, and I'm in the home stretch. Last thing is this it takes a spirit empowered compassion. A spirit empowered compassion. Look how Stephen responds in Acts 7, verse 60. He, he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? He is dying. He is dying. And he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Well, it sounds very familiar to what Jesus said. Because what Jesus said in Luke 23, verse 34... He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. See, Stephen had followed a pretty good example. We can follow the same example. 
You see, I think the, the greatest act of compassion in our world is not to bow down and, and, and to agree with everything that everybody says. I think the greatest act of compassion that we can have in our world for, for me and for you is to tell people the truth. To tell people the truth. And the truth is this. Not everybody's right. Not all truth is absolute. That's, that's the greatest act of compassion, isn't it? What if Jesus in his, in his earthly life would have said, you know what, I mean, I could, I could go to the cross or I could not go to the cross. I could just be a really good example. And I could just set a great example and I could have these really good teachings and maybe inspire some people to change. Maybe I could heal a couple people. Maybe. But you see, the reason why Jesus, the message of Jesus is so compelling is because Jesus chose to go on that, that rugged wooden cross to bear the weight of our sin and our shame. He poured His life out for us when we did not deserve it. A great level of compassion. Stephen, a great level of compassion. He pours his life out for Jesus. Confident. Absolutely confident. He had a composure. And we need to stop being that red-faced person just looking for arguments, looking to throw moral hand grenades. Not, not backing down, but confronting when the opportunity presents us. But also... Showing them true compassion with telling people the truth. But we can't share in the culture sins. We have to live counter-culturally. That's the walk of Jesus. That's the teachings of the New Testament specifically. Is to live counter-culturally. So if something's wrong in our culture, first address the sins in your own life. Address the, the, the family that God has put you around. Invest in the relationships and the friendships you have outside of that. And if you have the Holy Spirit, He's going to be leading you. As a matter of fact, God will use you mightily. But if you grieve the Holy Spirit and you shut off that flow, ultimately, you miss out on an incredible amount of blessings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, you told us that people are not going to like us. We shouldn't be surprised. But yet you were so good where you warned us and you said that the culture, cultures would, would be against us. But yet you said that we can have the Holy Spirit. We can have every spiritual blessing. And yet, Lord, for, for some of us, we, we, we feel like we're losing right now. And God, we maybe have been reminded and we know that we're winning in the end, but yet it seems like we're losing right now. I pray that you would just encourage that person in here. Maybe they've been, they've been trying to go through and they've been trying to have that spiritual conversation with a friend. I pray that you would just give them a confidence and a composure. 
that they would be able to, to go in and just be empowered by the Holy Spirit to say what needs to be said and show them the greatest act of compassion, and that's sharing the gospel. But God allowed them to confront the sins of their own life. God, empower the person in here who's... Maybe they're just on their walk with, with you. And, and they're just trying to figure it out. And maybe even, even the intensity of this message is kind of a turnoff. And they're like, no, no, I thought it was supposed to be a lot easier than this. Remind them how good you are. That you didn't say that our life would be easy, but you said our life would have purpose. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.